to make it? I see some nods. Well, there are, there are at least some anecdotal reports that in the Puritan times, they would have an usher who had a stick, and if someone fell asleep, they would come over and whack you on the head with it. Well, one side had a feather to tickle your nose, and the other side had a ball to whack you. So uh, Gary's ushering for us today, so if you see me point, there's a stick back there. No, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll be patient with you this morning. Um, during, during this time, especially the first day of the new year, people are expectant and excited thinking about the new year. And so people will make New Year's resolutions about diet or exercise or some, some way they want to better themselves. But have you considered what, what do you expect 2017 to hold for you? What do you expect for your life in this new year? Now, in one sense, it's just another day. It's just the day after yesterday. And, uh, and in that sense, it's a day like any other. But it's also a time that we, we think about the future and we think about how we can better ourselves. So have you considered what will 2017 hold for you? I saw a s- several posts on Facebook about the new year, some of them saying something like, 2017 is going to be the best year yet. Maybe you think 2017 will be your best year yet. Maybe... Uh, maybe you're more realistic and you don't know what 2017 will hold. But regardless of what does happen, we know this, that it is the Lord who holds us, regardless of what comes about. One of the preeminent theologians, uh, Forrest Gump, said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And that's, that's true. I go into a box of chocolates, and sometimes even when it has the labels, you don't know what you're going to get. And you get one of those with a cherry in it, and it's terrible. And you think, why would anybody put this in a box of chocolates? But that's how life is. That's how day uh, after day is. We, We don't know what the future will hold. For some of you, 2017 may be the best year you've ever had. And yet, it may also be a very difficult year. It may be a year filled with challenges and difficulties. Even if you did everything right, even if you did every, made all the right business and financial decisions, even if you did everything right in your relationships, even if you did everything right with your neighbors in your neighborhood and were the perfect neighbor, it could be a very difficult year for you. We don't know what the future holds. And yet we know it is the Lord who holds us. Well, in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, we have some universal commands. I say universal because they apply to us in every circumstance. No matter what 2017 holds for us, no matter what you go through in 2017, whether it is your best year yet or whether it's your most difficult year yet, we have these exhortations in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. In any and every circumstance in which we can live for the glory of God, which we can live a godly life, a faithful life under his lordship. So follow along with me as I read that passage. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer And supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Our Heavenly Father, as we approach this text, we pray that you would minister to us by it. We pray that as we face joys, as we face difficulties and trials, no matter what we face in the days ahead, you would cause us to remember your peace that you give us in Christ. And that we would respond in any and every situation with, with rejoicing, with reasonableness, with giving thanks, with prayer, that we would respond in these ways and so give you glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, really, this is not just a uh, set of verses outside of any context. Paul here is he's closing his letter to the Philippians and as he does in several other letters, he is giving some closing exhortations, some some closing commands. It's almost as if he fin- is, is finishing the letter he's writing. He, he wants them to focus in on certain uh, behavior, certain actions. And so he does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He does this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He does this in Colossians chapter 4. And he does it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Really, we'll, we'll look at that a little bit later and see some of the p- parallel commands that he gives. But Paul is giving these concluding exhortations. And if we, since we're not reading this in context, we might think that th- these are just random uh, commands that Paul is giving. Oh yeah, don't forget uh, this and this and this. But if we see it in context, we see that these verses are actually connected to the rest of the letter. These commands that Paul gives to the Philippians in closing his letter are related to themes that we see throughout the book of Philippians. And so we see these themes particularly of joy. Uh, Paul has great joy in the, the Philippians. They have great joy in him. He expresses his joy for them. He rejoices even as he is in prison. We see themes of anxiousness and themes of contentment. And really, as we look at verses 4 through 7, all of these themes are, are present. Of, of joy in the Lord, of not being anxious about anything, but being content in the Lord and making your requests be made known to God. So we recognize that these are related to the rest of, of the letter. We also notice that they are uh, universal in their nature. Notice the, the universal nature of these commands. In other words, they apply to any and every circumstance. Notice these words that Paul uses. Always, everyone, anything, in everything. He's, he's wanting them to make sure that they see. These, these apply no matter what you're going through. No matter the circumstance, no matter what the future holds, practice these things. These are four exhortations for the Philippians to carry forth no matter what they go through. And they are four exhortations for us in this new year. Four exhortations that we can take to heart no matter what we face. So notice the first of these commands is rejoice in the Lord. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And really, this is an old command. This is nothing new that Paul is saying here. It's an old command repeated throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just a couple of examples. Psalm 97 verse 12 says, Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise His holy name. And then Psalm 100, what you're probably familiar with, the, the, a psalm of thanks 
The psalmist says, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Turn there for just a moment. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. He's in his concluding remarks, concluding exhortations. And he says, um, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we see this repeated command to rejoice in the Lord. And then in Philippians, we see Paul repeating this over and over again. Philippians 2.18, be glad and rejoice with me. Philippians 3.1, rejoice in the Lord. And here, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And to rejoice means to be glad in, to have joy in. To express that gladness at certain times. Now it's neither simply a feeling nor an external expression. It's neither simply one or the other of those. Um, It's more than a feeling in that it's really a, a commitment, a settled disposition of gladness in the Lord. If it's just a feeling, we know feelings can come and go. And yet, Paul tells us in any and all circumstances to rejoice in the Lord. And if it's just an external expression, we know joy doesn't always... uh, We all have different personalities, and we don't always express our joy in the exact same way. I always am a little frustrated when someone expects me to rejoice in the same way that they rejoice. Now, a, rejo- a feeling of rejoicing, a feeling of joy, a, even a settled disposition of joy, sometimes will express itself in certain ways. So I don't mean to say it will never have an expression. And yet we express our joy in certain ways. It doesn't mean always having a smile on your face. I think sometimes we as American Christians think this is what it means. Always be smiling. Always be happy. You're never allowed to be upset or sad or frustrated or angry. We know that's not true from the Psalms. The psalmist expresses all sorts of different emotions, and yet we recognize he had an underlying joy in the Lord. So it doesn't mean to always have a smile on your face, to never be sad. You can have a settled disposition of gladness even in your darkest depths. Even as you lose a loved one, you can have a settled disposition of joy in the Lord because you know his peace. You know the peace that he gives. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then, as if he's anticipating some of these objections, he says, okay, I'll say it again. (laughs) Maybe you didn't hear me the first time. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Perhaps you even think about some objections you might have to that you're thinking of possible situations in which it wouldn't be appropriate or you wouldn't be able to rejoice in the lord and yet we have this command the philippian circumstance relative peace and yet we know there was some division in their midst as paul encourages a couple of the people to be at peace with one another it seems like they were Uh, potentially poor, and there was always in the New Testament church potential persecution on the way. And so Paul doesn't know what the future holds for the Philippians, 
And yet he commands them in every circumstance to rejoice in the Lord. And remember, if the Philippians have some objections to this command from Paul, they would remember the situation Paul was in. He was imprisoned. Now, it was a house arrest, and yet even in house arrest, there were difficulties and challenges. The impending threat of execution hung over Paul. And so Paul is not saying this from from ease and comfort. He is saying this from difficulty and pain himself. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. The command itself, the circumstance that he says always, and even the repetition of this command, though, reminds us of our sin. It reminds us that we do not fulfill this command as we ought to. It reminds us that we don't always rejoice in the Lord. How do we sometimes respond? Sometimes we respond to circumstances in despair. We, we lose all hope momentarily and think perhaps that the Lord is not with us or that the Lord doesn't care for us. Or perhaps we respond to some circumstances in bitterness toward God, in anger toward God, saying, why would you do this, God? Why would you do this to me? Or perhaps we don't necessarily respond in those ways, but we rejoice in something other than the Lord. We talked about this some uh, last week as we we saw these wise men who came uh, from the east rejoiced when they saw the the star. They rejoiced with great joy and exceeding joy. They were rejoicing because they knew that they would meet the Lord soon. It's easy to rejoice in the Lord when all is right. It's when things are going wrong that the object of our joy is truly revealed. For if the object of our joy is taken away, then our our joy is taken away with it. So what would you do if all was lost? If everything that you had was lost? Consider this, perhaps you were thrown in jail because of your faith. And we don't have that sort of persecution now, but consider what would, what would that be like for you if you were thrown into prison, you had very little contact with your family, you had your essential needs taken care of, but you had nothing. Everything that you had would be taken away. Would you have joy even in the midst of that circumstance? What would you do? How would you respond to that circumstance? Last night at midnight, thousands and thousands of people sang together Auld Lang Syne. They probably didn't know the lyrics or all the lyrics to that song. They probably don't know what that means. And yet they, they were singing it together. There's a sort of joy in that. They were able to temporarily forget uh, their problems, the difficulties in their relationships. And as they pushed all of that out of their mind, they had a sort of temporary joy in the moment just celebrating and singing together. But I'm reminded of another midnight that took place about 2,000 years ago. Paul and Silas, you remember, they were imprisoned, and this was in Philippi. As they were preaching the gospel, they were imprisoned, and it says that about midnight, what were they doing? How were they responding to this difficulty in their trial? They were singing hymns and praying to the Lord. I don't know that I would respond in that way. I pray that I would. But they give us a great example of what it means to rejoice in the Lord in any and every circumstance. 
singing praises to the Lord and praying to Him. So consider, in what do you rejoice? In whom do you rejoice? It's not wrong to rejoice in other people or other things, but one's rejoicing must ultimately be in the Lord. All our other rejoicing must be through rejoicing in the Lord, recognizing His goodness and His gifts to us. And really it comes back to contentment. We will only rejoice in the Lord if we are content in Him and, and the, the, where He has placed us in life, His providential care over us. Really, it reminds me that contentment is, is undervalued in our culture, perhaps even among Christians, that we, we don't value what it means to be content in the Lord, what it means to be content in the place in which He has put us. Uh, Paul says in another place that godliness with contentment, in godliness with contentment, there is great gain. And yet we might think about all the things that we'll miss out on or lose if we don't pursue these other things. Now there certainly is something to godly ambition, and yet there's great gain in godliness with contentment. Our rejoicing is grounded in God's goodness. This is what we read in in Psalm 100. Come before Him with thanksgiving and gladness. Because He is faithful. Because He is good. Our rejoicing in God is grounded in an awareness of His goodness, His love, and His faithfulness. So, a failure to rejoice in the Lord is due to a failure to apprehend His goodness, love, and faithfulness. If we're not rejoicing in the Lord, it's because we haven't truly understood who God is. We haven't truly understood His goodness, His love, and His faithfulness. And this is one of the reasons we gather together week in and week out. This is why we gather together with the saints, that our minds would be turned once again to the goodness of God so that we would rejoice in Him. If you you get in the habit of not gathering together with the saints, you begin to miss out on this. You begin to fail to apprehend the goodness of the Lord. And so we ought to spend time reflecting on His character. And this, this reflecting on His character in nature as well as in the Word. You know, when you see a beautiful, majestic mountain scene, you are drawn to think of the goodness of God, of His majesty, of His greatness. And you're moved to rejoice in Him. So as you consider the world, as you consider God's good creation, be moved to rejoice in the Lord for His goodness. And as you gather week in and week out and hear the word proclaimed, let us reflect upon His character. We are to stir one another up in this. Stir one another up in apprehending and understanding the goodness and faithfulness of our God. Our first command is to rejoice in the Lord. But second, we are to be reasonable. You see that in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The command is to be reasonable. Other translations use words like gentleness, perhaps graciousness. Uh, Let everyone know your gentleness. Let everyone know your graciousness. It means to be equitable or fair. And Paul says, let everybody see this characteristic in you. 
So this means in the church and among other believers, we are to let our reasonableness or our gentleness be known. Parents, you're to be reasonable, fair, and gentle with your children. Or or children, what about you? You're to be reasonable with your parents. Husbands and wives, be reasonable and gentle with one another. You know, it's interesting how often those that we are closest to, we are most unreasonable with. We expect things that are totally unreasonable from one another, and we get angry and argue and are in contention with one another. But it's especially in these relationships that we are to be reasonable with one another. And in the church, we are to be reasonable with one another. We are to treat one another with equity and fairness. Or what about with unbelievers? Paul includes both believers and unbelievers in this. Let everyone know your reasonableness. So consider out in the world, are you known for this characteristic at work? Are you known as being reasonable and fair with those who you are over? or With those who are over you? At school, in your neighborhood? Now, it doesn't mean you're, you're wimpy or you're a pushover. Right? There are certain decisions you must make as, as an employer or as uh, someone who manages others. There are certain decisions you must make that will be good for the company. And yet, even in those difficult decisions, you must be gentle and reasonable. It's sad, but often Christians have a reputation for being unreasonable. Think about perhaps uh, tipping at restaurants. I don't know if that's true or not, but we, we get that reputation whether it's true or not. Or neighbors. Sometimes Christian neighbors have a reputation for being totally unreasonable. I think of a neighbor in my neighborhood when I was growing up um, who professed to be a Christian. And she was totally unreasonable. We had five kids, and yeah, there are going to be toys left out in the yard sometimes. But she would call and uh, tell my mom that the yard was an eyesore and it needed to be cleaned up. It was totally unreasonable. We were to be gentle and kind. Or what about our interactions on Facebook? Uh, Some of the most unreasonable responses you'll ever find are comments on Facebook posts. And yet we, of all people, Christians, are to be reasonable and gentle. Now, there's a very tricky part about about this command. It's that unreasonable people don't know they're being unreasonable. It's like needing deodorant. You don't realize you need it. You don't realize this command applies to you. And so that's, that's another important aspect of the body of Christ. We, we don't often, we aren't often able to see the sin in our own lives. We need someone else to look in on us. So we prayed this morning in our prayer meeting that we would uh, be careful to watch over one another within the body and we would open ourselves up to that sort of watchfulness over us because we recognize we don't always see uh, the sin in our own lives. We need others to help us to see that because we want to grow. We want to be conformed to the image of Christ. Consider the importance of being reasonable. It seems like a simple command, right? It's common sense to be reasonable and gentle. But why is this important for Christians in particular? Well, one, it reveals our faith in God. Paul says the Lord is at hand. Now, this means I think there are two kind of flavors of this 
this statement, the Lord is at hand. One is the presence of the Lord. The Lord is near. He is close to you. But then also the I, this, there's an eschatological nearness that he's talking about. The Lord's return. So the Lord is near, and the Lord is near in His return. And this would be a comfort to us, because if He is near to us, if He's with us, if He's coming back soon, we don't have to fight for our own rights and be unreasonable with people fearing that we're going to lose what we want for ourselves. We don't have to get our way at the expense of others. That's why someone's unreasonable, is because they're demanding their own rights. They're demanding what they deserve. And so we're free because the Lord is at hand. We are free to be gentle with others, to be reasonable, to not demand our rights and cling tightly to them. So it reveals our faith in God. But also, being reasonable and gentle produces a fragrant aroma of the gospel. You know, that neighbor who professed faith in Christ, who was unreasonable about our yard, really created a bitterness in my mouth towards her. And if we are unreasonable to those at work, to those at school, in our neighborhood, or even our family, what are we doing but creating a bitterness? And perhaps creating a bitterness towards Christ and the things of Christ. But as we treat one another fairly, as we treat others fairly and gently, they they will see that characteristic in us. They will know that we are Christians and it will, it will be to them an aroma, a sweet and pleasing aroma of the gospel. See, this is why we can be gentle and reasonable, because we have everything that we need in Christ. He is our joy. He is our hope. He is everything we need. And so this, in turn, changes how we behave towards others. We are to rejoice in the Lord always. We are to be res- reasonable to everyone And then command number three, really command number, uh, it's really one command, three and four. It's a two-part command, but we'll take them one at a time. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Now it's time to preach a little bit, right? Do not be anxious about anything. All of us struggle with this at at some point or another. To be anxious is to be troubled by certain concerns. To be worried or nervous or uneasy about something that has an uncertain outcome. Perhaps Paul has Jesus' teaching in mind about anxiousness. Listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, 
And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, Jesus and Paul are not encouraging passivity here. Of course not. They're not excusing laziness. In another place, Paul says, if one doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. There is a right concern. In fact, this word is often used of a legitimate concern. They had a, they had a concern for Epaphroditus because he was sick. And this moves one to appropriate God-honoring action. But there is a wrong sort of concern. Anxiety and worry. And this moves one to, to doubting God, to inner turmoil, to frantic action as though it, everything depends on you or everything's going to fall apart. So, for instance, Paul's circumstance in prison. It's clear that he had an appropriate concern. He wanted to get out of prison. And he was trusting God that he, he felt confident that he would be eventually released. And yet, he, he did not express anxiety or worry over this, these things. He did not despair or use inappropriate means to escape. He didn't fran- get frantic in his actions trying to get released. Rather, he trusted God. He prayed. He took appropriate measures to try and secure his, his release. So we're commanded not to be anxious about anything. Lack of A lack of rejoicing in the Lord reveals a lack of apprehending God's goodness. And anxiety reveals a lack of trust in God's goodness. Particularly, God's goodness toward you. Because you could still think, yes, I know intellectually that God is good, and yet you could doubt God's goodness and concern and care towards you individually. Anxiety reveals this lack of trust in God. And what you, what you need to remember are Jesus' words, even as we just read them. Are you not of much more value than birds? Did any of you happen to see the eaglets that were, were born, hatched recently? There was a Facebook video live. Everybody was excited looking in on these uh, eagles that were hatching. I don't know if both of them have been hatched yet or not. I know one of them was. But consider God's care for these, these birds. He takes care of them. They have this nest, uh, this uh, male bird and the, the female bird. They sat over the, the eggs until they hatched. They, they cared for these, these little babies. God demonstrates his care for the birds of the air and that they have all that they need to survive. And yet, are you not much more value than birds? Uh, you've heard me talk about Violet, our dog, before. And I love Violet, and I, I'm the master of the house. I'm her master, and she loves me, and she always runs in and uh, greets me when I come home. I feed her. I take her out when I need to. I give her love by petting her. We love our dog. And yet, if I, if I love and care for my dog in that way, won't I love and care for my kids all the more? Much more value than a dog. Are my kids. And this is how God cares for us, his children. If God cares for his creation in such intimate 
ways, how much more will he care for us, his children? And if you need any any remembrance of God's care for you, any demonstration of God's care for you, look at the cross. Look at Jesus Christ who came and bled and died for the forgiveness of your sins. This is how God has cared for you preeminently. And in light of this care for you, it's not right to question any other way which God would care for us. He has paid for your sins. He has given you eternal life. He has given you peace with God through the blood of Christ. If he has not spared his son for you, why would you expect he would keep anything else from you? The work of Christ reminds us of God's intimate care for us and reminds us that we need not worry about anything. We need not have this anxious concern over things that are coming. And the work of Christ leads us to Another thing, it leads us to this last command that we have. For it is only through Christ, our mediator, that we can offer up prayers to God and be sure that he will hear him, hear those prayers and answer them. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be reasonable to everyone. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So there are four words there representing prayer. There's prayer, just general, uh, the act of praying. There's supplication, which is making requests. There's thanksgiving, expressing our thanks to God. And then there are requests, let your requests be made known to God. Those are the actual needs being asked for. And the purpose of these different words, I think, is not so much to describe different aspects of prayer, but to emphasize the importance of prayer. We are to be a praying people. So I'd encourage you to take advantage of the opportunities that we have as the people of God to pray together. So the first of every month at 915, we're going to pray together. Make this a commitment Uh, for you to come together with the body of Christ to pray. I know it's a little earlier than usual. It might be difficult, but it's important that we be a praying people. Or there are some prayer calendars on the back table. Take one of those and spend time together as a family or individually, regularly praying for one another, making requests for one another in the church. We are to be a praying people. Paul emphasized this, the importance of prayer here. And this is really an alternative. Paul presents it as an alternative to anxiety and worry. Don't be anxious, rather pray. I saw a quote recently that's not exactly accurate. It says, don't go to God for your needs. Go to God as the one you need. Now that's, we understand his point there. Ultimately, we are going to, we should go to God because he is our ultimate need. And yet, the other part of that I can't affirm because the scripture tells us, God tells us, ask for your needs. In the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. We, God tells us to ask for the things that we need. We affirm that God knows all of our needs, and yet, in a mysterious way, he tells us, ask, make your request, let your requests be known to God. It's not necessarily selfish to ask God for things. Um, 
it is an important aspect to uh, non-selfish requests. Uh, well, here's an important aspect to non-selfish requests. Paul puts that thanksgiving part here for a reason. Uh, make your requests with thanksgiving in your heart. See, this contentment and this giving of thanks balances out any selfishness that we might have. Thanksgiving makes sure that there is an appropriate amount of contentment. Contentment is important, yet Paul indicates it would be a good thing to get out of prison. However, what is our tendency in these things? What is our, our tendency instead of praying? Two things, two tendencies we might have instead of praying. We might not request... Because we think our concerns are unimportant. We think our concerns are unimportant. We, just, we might think, well, we just have these small concerns. God, the God of the universe, doesn't really care about our needs. He's not really concerned. He's concerned about the really big things in life. But these are just simple, small concerns that we might have. But we are encouraged to let God be the judge of that. Right? Let God be the judge of whether or not your concerns are small and important. Let your requests be known to God. He'll deal with them appropriately. He'll hear your prayers and He'll answer them the way that He sees fit. In asking, you're expressing trust in God. In asking for the little things. In asking for things that you might think are unimportant, you're expressing trust. You're expressing trust that He cares that he can answer and expressing trust that he knows how to answer best. A second tendency way we might respond is through worry and anxiety rather than prayer. We might make requests without thanksgiving, not recognizing all that God has given us. Concern consumes our thoughts to the point there's no room left to consider His graciousness to us. How good He has been to us throughout our lives. But a failure to go to Him in prayer with thanksgiving is a failure to apprehend the work of Christ on our behalf. But it's because of Christ we can go to Him confidently, with joy, knowing that He will answer our prayers. And we always have something to be thankful for, knowing that it is Christ who has saved us and brought us into the family of God. And considering this work of Christ on our behalf leads us to consider this promise in verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. People are seeking peace for the new year. They are seeking peace and joy for 2017. But where will they find it? Where will you find the peace that you so desire In 2017, you will only find it here in Christ. You will only find the kind of peace that you need in the person and work of Jesus Christ who bled and died for our sins and rose from the dead. It is the peace of God that we need. It's the peace of God that our world needs. It is a peace that surpasses all understanding and it is a peace found only in Jesus Christ. Now with this, we must recognize there is an objective peace and there is a subjective peace. In other words, there is an objective outward peace and there's an inward subjective peace. The outward objective peace from God is dependent wholly upon Christ. 
The peace that we have with God is because of Christ's and His work on our behalf. And so we once were in enemies with God. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. And yet Christ bridges the gap by His perfect life, by His death on the cross for our sins, and by His resurrection from the dead. He brings us to God through faith. As we receive Him by faith, we have peace with God. And this is not dependent on how we behave. It's not dependent on how little we sin or how much we sin. It's not dependent on how well you keep up with the daily reading of of Scripture for 2017. It is dependent completely upon Christ and His work, and therefore nothing can threaten it. Nothing can threaten the objective peace that we have with God in Christ Jesus. But there's also a subjective peace, an inward peace. And notice that while this objective peace with God that we have is completely dependent upon Christ, not subject to change, that this subjective peace seems at least somewhat dependent upon our turning to God in thankful, confident prayer. Do you see that? It is as we reject anxiousness. I mean, you can't be filled with anxiousness and worry and have inward peace. It's not the way it works. It's the complete opposite. And so as we reject anxiety and worry about the future and instead turn to God in thankful, confident prayer, God guards our hearts and our minds with peace. I love the image Paul gives us here. It's like a, an armed guard standing before our minds and our hearts. As we turn to him in prayer, the peace of God guards us. Turn to him in faith. With every challenge that you have, with every difficulty that you face, reject anxiety. Turn to God in thankful, confident prayer that He will meet your needs, that He will care for you. Because He has demonstrated that He does care for you in Christ Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, for this new year, no matter what you face in any and every circumstance, rejoice in the Lord always. Amen? Rejoice in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, be reasonable in all of your dealings with uh, Christians, family members, outsiders. Be reasonable and gentle with them. Don't be anxious about anything. There's nothing to worry about, for you are in the hands of God. But in every circumstance, pray with thanksgiving in your heart, and God will give you his peace. The Holy Spirit will enable us to do these things. Those of us who are in Christ, you you don't have to worry about this either because the Holy Spirit will enable us more and more to do these things for His glory and for the good of His people. Let us pray together.